Albuquerque. I am your host, Becca Marie, and you are listening to my new show, Freedom Speak, where fake news comes to die on Albuquerque's conservative talk, KDAZ 96.9 FM, 700 AM, and listen from anywhere at conservativetalkabq.com. I've got a really packed schedule today. I've got actually a full house of guests today. It's really going to be an interesting conversation. I have two of the candidates uh, running for uh, Bernalillo County Sheriff, and I've also got another friend of mine that runs a, um, a company in which he trains people for concealed carry permit. So anyway, I was thinking a little bit about the craziness going on in the world these days, about the what appears to me like a mass psychosis. I wonder how many of you remember what the phrase drinking the Kool-Aid means and where it originated. This goes back to an instant in which nearly a thousand men, women, and children died at Jonestown in Guyana, South America on November 18, 1978. These people were all members of the People's Temple, a Christian organization that integrated anything that their leader Jim Jones wanted to use, from Marxist theories to faith healing. Jonestown was envisioned as a rainbow family made up of people of all races, ages, and creeds who were separated from America and working on their own to create a utopian civilization. The group originally started in America, but Jones grew erratic and confrontational, and some of his followers bailed from his San Francisco church and started talking to journalists about the abuses of power. Jones caught wind of an expose to be published in New York New West magazine, and rather than stick around to find out what happened when the story was published, he abruptly moved to Guyana, South America in the summer of 1977. Many of his followers joined him there. Once his followers were in Jonestown, they were cut off completely from the rest of the world and systematically broken down through techniques that were like what Big Brother used in 1984. He encouraged his followers to snitch on one another and used copious amounts of drugs to essentially lobotomize patients whom he felt were dissenting. On top of all of that, people were forced to perform backbreaking work in 100-degree temperatures on little more than maggoty rice and brown sugar. At night, they were made to learn in their sleep through pre-recorded sermons that Jones piped through the compound's public address system. In the harsh jungle of Guyana, none of the utopian dreams of Jones's followers came to fruition after they had trusted him enough to faithfully move across the world, leaving everything they knew behind. Jones was addicted to various drugs and devolved into madness. Word of this reached a group of concerned friends in the United States, and a rescue mission was organized. Once this news reached Jones, he ordered his followers to drink Flavor-Aid, not Kool-Aid. He scrimped on that because, honestly, I think Kool-Aid tastes way better. It was mixed with cyanide and Valium, and he began, began force-feeding to any children who didn't drink it willingly. Jones hoped that once the adults of the compound watched their children pass away, that they'd have nothing to live for. The people who didn't drink the poison flavor aid were either injected with cyanide or shot as they tried to escape. And all the while, Jones delivered a monologue about how much he loved his followers in a gruesome recording. Even though Jones ordered his followers to drink poison flavor aid, he didn't go out the same way. Instead, he retreated to his bunker and put a bullet in his brain. 
The reason I told this story is because it reminds me of the sort of cult following I see because of the continuous propaganda that has been spread throughout the world over the past two years. It has become a kind of religion to many. According to psychiatrist and medical legal expert Dr. Mark McDonald, the true public health crisis is not COVID-19 itself, rather it's the fear of the infection which has morphed and evolved into a form of mass delusional psychosis. Many people enter a state of hysteria when they see an unmasked person, even if they look perfectly healthy and clearly are not suffering from any kind of respiratory issue. This is a highly irrational state that has no basis in reality. There are serious concerns about the lasting effects this widespread insanity will have on children as they grow up. One of the worst traumas children suffer because of all this fear-mongering is the idea that they may kill their parents or grandparents simply by being around them. We see children now so fear fearful that they continue to wear a mask even when outside. There are still adults living with this fear as well. It's like Stockholm Syndrome, in which people have been held hostage for the past two years, and in many ways that is exactly what it has been like for those that believed the lies and complied with what they were told to do by authorities they thought they trusted. Treating the children's trauma in therapy is not going to be enough as parents and other adults are the ones creating the trauma by their own exaggerated fear response. A number of mental health experts have expressed concern over the blatant fear and panic mongering during the COVID-19 pandemic, warning about potential and likely psychiatric effects. In a December 22, 2020 article in EV Magazine, S.G. Chia discusses what may in fact be the real problem at hand mass insanity caused by delusional fear of COVID-19. Irrational behaviors that have become all too commonplace, such as parents being kicked off of planes because their young children refuse to wear a mask during the flight, or people having hysterical meltdowns when they see a person not wearing a mask. Some experts in psychology have stated that these people are suffering from delusional psychosis and refers to out side the home or office as the outdoor insane asylum, where one must assume that any person that you run into is insane unless they prove otherwise. In a quote by S.G. Chia in a December 2022, December 22, 2020 article in Evie Magazine, it states, instead of facing reality, the delusional person would rather live in their world of make-believe. But in order to keep faking reality, they'll have to make sure that everyone else around them also pretends to live in their imaginary world. In simpler words, the delusional person rejects reality, and in this rejection of reality, others have to play along with how they view the world. Otherwise, their world will not make sense to them. It's why the delusional person will get angry when they face someone who doesn't conform to their worldview. It's one of the reasons why you, you're seeing so many people who'd happily approve the silencing of any medical experts whose views contradict the WHO or the CDC guidelines. Obey the rules becomes more important than questioning if the rules were legitimate to begin with. It's not unthinkable that the final outcome would be total societal control on every aspect of your life. Consider this. The end point of a mentally ill person is for them to be put under a controlled environment, such as institutionalized in an asylum, where all freedoms are restricted. 
And it's looking more and more like that the end point of where this mass psychosis is heading. We have witnessed intentional induced insanity along with the destruction of our economy and the rule of law by a corrupt power thirsty government. The goal it seems to me is to create such a sense of hopelessness that the population will simply roll over and give up all their freedom and liberty for the promise of a guaranteed basic income and to be kept safe. As a well-known quote by Benjamin Franklin states, those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. It seems to me from how I see so many people these days that seem to have a hatred for freedom, believers of freedom have become their enemy. Many are ready to accept communism in a belief that the government will provide for all their needs. If this were to happen, the constitution would become a distant memory. We could find ourselves living under the rule of an all-powerful, tyrannical government. Everything we do or say would be closely monitored and controlled, and we would definitely not be safe. So that being said, I'm going to introduce my guests, and each one of them is going to do a brief introduction for themselves, and then we're going to get into some discussion about a lot of topics I was thinking about, and they have a lot of things on their mind too. So I'm going to start with uh, Derek Scott. He's one of the candidates running for Bernalillo County Sheriff. Uh, welcome to the show, Derek. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. <clears throat> um, yeah, I'm running for sheriff in Bernalillo County, and my website is bigdforsheriff.com. If you guys want to check it out and see what I stand for, you'll find it there. Uh, the other thing is, is, yeah, you know, what we're going to be discussing today is definitely something that is... Something I've been going around and talking about a lot to people uh, on the street and, you know, at gatherings and door to door has been the main concern, you know, is what can a sheriff do with these problems, of course, and then what will you do, Derek Scott, you know, to solve these problems? And I feel we feel I feel I have a lot of, I think, what we would call more simple and more deployable ideas so that we can get out there and start attacking the crime for real instead of just acting like we're doing it. Um, the first thing we would do, of course, is we want to do a reserve. We want to bring back the reserve program, the reserve deputy program, and bring that back to fruition through the academy, have a shorter academy for the reserve deputies, and we can bring you even back, you know, Retired officers, if they want to come, anybody who's not got any experience wants to learn, it's a better way to learn to become a reserve and then go through that that system and then become a full-time deputy, especially since the, you know, the Sheriff's Department in Bernalillo doesn't have control of the prisons up in Colorado. You start in the prison, you work two years, and then you're allowed to go out on the street. So we want to have a program that kind of steps you through the process so that you can get better training and better understanding of what the rights of the citizens are and then what your rights are as a officer and what you need to enforce and what <clears throat> excuse me and what enforcement is you know the second thing is is definitely want to bring in a cyber crimes team I, I think right now it might you know we're, we're seeing it on the news but it's increased uh by 800 percent uh up to this year from what i understand and everything i've been reading um, cyber crimes have become such a detrimental thing that, you know, the FBI is the only one that's really allowed to do it. 
Now, law enforcement agencies are allowed to do it, and they would do task forcing, hopefully, but I'm the only one that's really talking about it and wants to do a cybercrimes task force. And that doesn't mean just, you know, uh, you know, people that prey on children or others. It also means people that prey on you and me that try to take our identity. I knew, my own bank account, you know, they've, they've randomly, what they do is they randomly go down and grab numbers and they try to rush through as many purchases as they can. And then, you know, the bank has to take that. But when the bank takes it with the FDIC, that comes from out of all of our pockets. Part of the reason we have this inflation, it's not just oil, but it's also the 800% increase in billions to, well, I've heard trillions of dollars being sapped from the American people, the banks and all the systems through this constant attack. And it's an every second attack of cybersecurity. So if we had task forces, we can start at least gating the local areas. We can start tracking back to maybe cost country lines because a lot of this happens in Mexico, Canada. Mm -hmm. You know, it can be very close, but it also can be very far. But if we can be allowed to start dealing with that and then people can call in, you know, that's the one of the biggest things is reporting crime lets you start attacking crime. And that's the, you know, the third thing is we want to have the administration and myself, I'll be on patrol, hopefully a minimum once a week. I want to do more, but have the administration, our administration out there every day, every week getting in the community because we're going to need churches. We're going to need, you know, the businesses. We're going to need the communities, which is the, and then, uh, the like neighborhood watch and such to start reporting the crimes to us, you know, and we want to support APD as best as we can or show APD what they need to do to get themselves straightened out. Great. You know? Okay. Thanks, Derek. Yeah. All right, Joshua, how about you? I, Joshua James, and by the way, all these guys are good friends of mine, and I thought it was great that we all got together today. It, it, today, it's gonna, be, it's gonna be fun. So Joshua, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, my name is Joshua James Ryan Lawrence. Um, I am running for Bernalillo County Constitutional Sheriff. Um, there's definitely been a lot of things lost in our society, lost in our law enforcement, uh, including law enforcement. A lot of people don't realize that law enforcement does not exist in this state. Uh, there's a process and a procedure to uh, bring about law enforcement, and those, those processes and procedures have not been fulfilled. Um, there is one gentleman in this state that did do it properly, and uh, we'll be getting into that later. But uh, the role of the sheriff is something that uh, has been forgotten. And uh, it's not taught in our schools anymore, along with the Constitution and, and civics and government altogether. So we want to bring back the constitutional sheriff. And the sheriff's role is to be the head law enforcement, the, uh, the leading power in, uh, in a county. Um, basically, they can uh, take control of all other badges which is something that I uh, definitely want to see happen. I, I, I will be taking over APD as sheriff because APD has been under investigation for well over five years. Um, they, they have a lot of issues and the sheriff's role is to take command of that once, once there's a problem. And uh, through doing that, I would like to see uh, a full, audit of the books of both APD and the Sheriff's Department. 
so we can start figuring out where the money's been coming in and going out. And all wasteful spending, et cetera, we will eliminate, uh, as well as we want to bring on the vets. We want to deputize the vets. Uh, in our, under our Constitution, the vets are guaranteed a job in law enforcement. So we want to bring the vets um, to the table and start helping with training the public so that we can also deputize the public. Uh, it's what's called the People's Posse. And uh, when, the, when our city, our county, has, is one of the leading uh, in homicides and car theft and burglaries and everything horrible, uh, the sheriff's duty is to handle that situation any way possible. And uh, the, under the rules of the sheriff, he has every ability to take control of just about everything law enforcement in the county. So that's definitely something we're going to be doing. Um, you know, the, the people, we, we are the ones that are going to save us. So the people care about their community. And uh, so the people need to jump in and, and help out to, to correct the problems that are happening. And I've, I talk to people every single day all over the state, all over the country, and people want to be a part of this change. You know, John Lennon said it. You, you want to see the change, be the change. So here we are. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Joshua. Mm -hmm. So my third guest is Dale Perkins. He's a good friend of mine. He's the guy that's been doing my concealed carry permit training for years. And in my opinion, he has the best class in town. <laughs> but anyway, Dale, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. I'm Dale Perkins. I am a NRA counselor. I teach the NRA instructors. I've been teaching since 1997, 1987. And right now I've got right at 4,000 students. I've been teaching the concealed weapon permit since 2004 and I'm one of the original 10 that put the concealed weapon permit into the legislation and we worked on hard on getting it passed. There is a lot of people that says constitutional carry is the way to go, but right now that's not gonna happen. The courts will not allow it, the state will not allow it, so we have done the best we can. I have one-on-one -on -one instructors on the live range. My wife is one of the instructors. She is one of the main instructors in the classroom. And we take and work with all people. I have had more people in wheelchairs and walkers come to my class and I've been told, how did you give them a license? Because they've got the shakes or they can't stand. It is their right to carry and I will make damn sure that happens. So thank you, Becca, for having us here. We do appreciate it. I think it's awesome all three of you could be here at the same time. And I am gonna have <laughs> fun picking on the other two. Oh, <laughs> that should be interesting. You know, you guys brought up a lot of points that really got me thinking about some things. It's like, one thing that Derek said is about getting out in the community and so often, the people in charge, they lock themselves away in a room somewhere. The public never sees them after they're elected. And therefore, the public never really gets to 
communicate with them. They don't have an open door policy. And, and with all the people that I've had on my show, that's one thing I always talk them, to them about is transparency. And it's like, are you going to be available to your voters for them to provide you with feedbacks? Because after all, you are a public servant. Anybody that's elected is a public servant. Exactly. And they are supposed to be there to serve the people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so getting out in the community, I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and it's something that I've been, you know, it's something that I've seen myself. And in the cases that I've been working on um, with my small, tiny little company, um, we've seen that, yeah, they're, they, they're totally unaccessible you know, totally inaccessible. I mean, it started when uh, COVID came in and <laughs> funny enough, I was on KRQE News 13 when we were still trying to fight for disability rights at the, at the city meeting, right? And trying to get them to know like, look, people with disabilities are losing everything. They're losing their services because if people don't work and if you don't try to find a way to bend the rules you know, because God forbid we even just bend a rule, right? And it's not even a law, but a rule. Right. We found um, out about uh, mandates and orders right. and things that aren't laws. And, and our governor basically turning into a tyrant and our mayor oh, yeah. turning tiny into a tyrant. Ty tiny tyrant. Tiny I love tyrants. that term. Yeah. I think I actually coined that phrase. And I think you, I think you I, probably I really did it from you. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. I, I'm the first one that said that that I can recall. Yeah, and I, I recall that you saying that god years ago right a couple of years uh, it was a couple ago. of years ago now. before anybody had said yeah, before anybody it. and then, had you, said then it. before you know yeah. it everybody's saying it. yeah it's like, right. okay and yeah. somebody one time and i'm not going to mention who used that term and i mentioned it to them and they said oh well do i need to pay you for that and I'm just like <laughs> i don't know no. gosh i should have patented that yeah term. you should have like <laughs> wrote it down i could be rich it, by now throw it through the the trade commission and shit, yeah. <laughs> so, Joshua, what do you think about the idea about the person that's elected getting out in the community and actually being accessible? What a concept, right? Oh, I absolutely agree. I've been very involved in the community for a long time and all about bringing the community together. Um, so it's one of the groups that I have is Come As One uh, so that we can all come together, put all our resources, talents, uh, skills on one table and make everything work. The, yeah. to the best of its ability because obviously our local governments and our uh, national governments not uh, doing their part in trying to bring our communities together they're trying to hold all that power for themselves so we need to put the power of the people back in the people's hands for sure well and one thing we have seen over the past couple of years that has been played out and it's an old saying that Abs power corrupts, abs let's say absolute power corrupts absolutely. And we have seen that. We have seen people that have been given power through the use of emergency orders and things like that. Things which people, they had the idea that, oh, it's an order, so I have to follow. Well, no, you don't. You know, the only place I can think of that you're supposed to follow orders is if you're in the military. Mm -hmm. I'm not in the military. I'm not beholden to any of these politicians. They are beholden to me. I, I voted for them. Well, most of them I didn't vote for in this state. Yeah. But regardless, they're public servants, and I'm not following their orders. That's right. They're, I they're say, supposed uh, to follow mine. You know, uh, I don't serve my servants. You know, we're the masters, and they serve us. That's true. Dale, you brought up an interesting point that got me thinking. It's something I've talked about quite a lot, about the right to carry. 
and the right to, you know, the Second Amendment clearly states, it's, it's, not, it's not ambiguous at all, it says that shall not be infringed. Okay, that means it shall, that means it will not under any circumstance, and being infringed means that it's not interfered upon in any way whatsoever. So our, we have a right to carry a firearm. We have a right to own a firearm without it be our right being infringed upon in any way whatsoever. So really, if you think about it, constitutional carry, we already have the constitutional right to carry. It's just that a lot of tyrannical politicians are making us believe that we don't have the right. Well, something I'm gonna bring up, with the concealed weapon permit, the students are, is getting 15 hours of schooling. They're being gone over, they sh are showed how to carry, they go over the laws, rules, and regulations where they can carry, where they cannot carry, and why they cannot carry into them places. Also, it gives the law enforcement, since I've got two law enforcement people here with me, the gangbangers that does not have the legal right to carry because they cannot get it concealed. That gives them the tool that they can use to take them off the street. Mm -hmm. Right now, it is just a misdemeanor to get caught with a concealed weapon without a license. Depends on where you're at. Open carry, everyone says we're an open carry state. Again, that depends on where you're at. If you're in Furs Grocery Store where they sell liquor, the legislation made that a fourth degree felony because they don't want to scare the sheep. Yeah. If you're in a school zone, 1990 Gun-Free School Act reads, if you're in a thousand foot of school zone with a firearm without a license, you're a fourth degree felon federal laws. Yeah, that's a federal And that mandate. means every crosswalk sign out there that says school zone, that is a school zone. It doesn't mean it has to be a, a thousand foot around the school. It's a school zone. But see there again, that's still infringement. Yes, it yes, is. Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. But the 1990 Gun-Free School Act is the reason and the way we got the concealed weapon permit passed through the legislation. Mm-hmm. We did go take it to the Supreme Court and had it thrown out the first time because of Mayor Baca's bad language. He wanted any town, metropolitan, city, county, or village could opt out of the program. That means we would be a checkerboard square and we could not live with that. So it got thrown out. The permit got thrown out for almost five years and we worked ourselves almost to death to get it put back in. Because I think any citizen should have the right to carry. I just want to see them go through the school and get the knowledge and the ways to carry properly. One thing that's scaring me very badly is that they're saying any military person can just take and get a license without no schooling if they've been out for a short time. Wait a minute. Handguns is different than a long gun. And last week, I had a gun pointed at me twice because of being a short muzzle. 
And I took that student off the side and I had a nice long talk to him. I did not send him home. And he did not realize what he did. But we took care of it and we made sure that it was all right. It was unloaded. He was walking up to the line. But that still does not mean he has the right to point a gun at me. Well, you know, one thing I can say, Dale, from your classes, and I think everybody should take a class because you learn a lot of things. You learn about gun safety, the proper way to handle a gun. Um, you, you see this thing that happened with uh, that movie set. Uh, what, what was, uh, what was uh, what's, his, what's the actor's so, name? Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin, Baldwin yeah. yes. I forgot his name. And the movie but dust. I, yeah, there were so many things, so many things or that dirt. were done wrong there. It's like, first of all, you don't point a gun at anybody because you assume that it is always loaded. And I realize that when you're on a movie set, you are going to be pointing a prop gun at people often. But, you know, for that reason, the, safe, the level of safety has to go way on up. You need to have, you should have somebody on the set at all times that is a firearms expert that inspects that so-called prop, which apparently is, was a real gun, not necessarily just a prop. I always think of a prop as, as a non-functional gun or one that looks like a gun. Well, it's usually like it is. Or something usually, like that. Uh, I'll let you say yeah. it, Dale. A prop is a firearm that will shoot blanks. The barrel is reduced, reduced. from the caliber that it's supposed to be, yeah. where a live round cannot go through it. Also, in our classes, we teach child safety and how to store your firearms. Yes, there was a lot of things done wrong on that movie oh. set. First thing was black powder. You don't ever aim it directly at somebody because the action writers that use black powder for shooting... The balloons, they're just using a black powder, but it will still break that balloon at 15 feet. Oh, sure. We've seen that demonstrated in class. Yes. Totally. I mean, there's still something coming out of that. There's still a... There's a, still gas coming out. Gas, some kind of a concussion wave. Yes. And it's like, yes, it can still hurt you. So, on the set... I think it's his, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dale, I think your phone's buzzing on the yeah, table. It's something's off. vibrating. <laughs> yeah. it's something's totally vibrating. Off. Yeah, really, something's it's vibrating. Stop me. Anyway, hey guys, we are at the 30-minute mark. We're going to take a short break, and we'll fast. be right back. I know, it flies right by. <laughs> Agave Builders is a family and veteran-owned, licensed, and insured GB98 construction company. I'm Michael Eustace, along with partner Ron Lucero. We specialize in helping disabled veterans obtain grants through the VA and nonprofit companies to remodel their homes. We can also handle all of your building needs, from small jobs to commercial buildings. We are also a premier American walk-in tub dealer. Call us at 505-385-6680. Also find us at agavebuildersnn.com and follow us on Facebook. Looking for hard-to-find used car or truck parts? Looking for honest general mechanics work at affordable prices? Call my friend Joe at Southwest Auto Recyclers. Serving New Mexico for 30 years, veteran-owned and operated at 4025 Broadway Boulevard, Southeast in Albuquerque. Call 505-877-3331. 505-877-3331. 
Hey there, welcome back, everybody. You're listening to KDAZ, Albuquerque's Conservative Talk, 96.9 FM, 700 AM, and listen from anywhere at conservativetalkabq.com. I'm Becca Marie. You're listening to Freedom Speak. And I've got a great panel of guests today, three, three guys here, and we're having a really great uh, discussion about law enforcement. By the way, I hope you like the, sound pi- the song picks I came up with today. They're all, it's like all, they're all so yeah. relevant to what we're talking about. Yep. Anyway, so <clears throat> you, you see these idiots out there in the, in the, the, the liberals and these, these Democrat politicians. They've been pushing for this defund the police nonsense, which I... I I find the whole thing just absolutely insane. Of course, I talked about insanity at the beginning beginning of the show, which is why I kind of went into that. I thought, well, that's really applicable to what we're doing today. And I the what they're trying to do is obvious here. If they defund the police, if they if they encourage this anarchy in the streets and all of this crime, this out of control stuff, Basically, what they're moving towards is they want to be able to come after everything has just completely gone to hell in a handbasket, and they and the federal government wants to swoop in and say, "Oh, well, we can fix all this. All you have to do is let us federalize the police." And this is a very, very bad idea. Historically, the 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 founding fathers were really, really against a federal police force, and because. Eventually, what happens is they turn their, their efforts inward on the people, and they eventually become a tyrannical force for a tyrannical federal government. Yep. And, you know, it's funny you mention that, because uh, this is something that's been bothering me greatly. So it first started with the district police saying they were going to put 300 uh, satellite offices in 300 different cities. Now, fortunately, they didn't get the money, so they weren't able to do that. So the next step is they just passed through the night uh, in the budget law. They passed the ATF being allowed uh, law enforcement to to force, and I mean this in, in a nice way, <laughs> force deputized police and deputies and law enforcement officers of state uh, local law enforcement agencies to say you're now a federal you're now a sworn ATF deputy and that you're going to enforce these policies of ATF remember policies when I say that I mm-hmm. don't mean law right I like, say policies because like they just decided the reset trigger is now an automatic weapon which is total bogus if you understand how the reset trigger works total bogus so what they want to do is they will force like uh, APD, uh, Bernalillo County, and they would force deputize these people, and then they will go out and enforce the law, um, basically saying, saying, screw you, chief, screw you. I don't know. Am I allowed to say that on the radio? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Screw you, chief, screw you, you know, uh, deputy so and Michelle's just kind of shrugging right. her shoulders. Oh, like, okay, yeah, okay. Because... Yeah, yeah. But that's what they were, that's what they're yeah. basically telling these officers to do is go against the authority of the person that's been given authority over them to either the sheriff or the chief or the, the city to give them authority to police. They're saying, well, I'm not, you know, I don't have to listen to you anymore. I have to listen to ATF. And ATF will then charge them with, with a crime and a federal crime if they don't do it. So now you're forcing a deputization on them. You're taking away their rights 
to their local communities. You're, you're kind of removing them from that. And then you're saying enforce our policies, period, or else. And I mean, what is that? It's coercion. And this is in the law they passed just recently in the House with the budget, the budget. And it's just, it's, it's really, it, it angers me to the core because, you know, I, I also saw that in the law, uh, HB 68, I'm really concerned House Bill 68 of New Mexico might take away the responsibilities of the sheriff. And I think they're trying to strip the sheriff's uh, ability to be over their deputies and over the community as a law enforcement authority. Well, they've been doing this for over 30 years. They've been infiltrating the sheriff's office and trying to take the power away. And they do that through the educational system and, and through their police academies and they're, they're dumbing everybody down. In fact, I mean, our police academies are not law enforcement training. They are patrolman training. You can call the police academy yourself and ask them if they teach law enforcement. They'll tell you they teach patrolmen. Patrolmen aren't even allowed to carry a gun. They are the peacekeepers that are walking around the streets, you know, spinning their sticks on their side, right? Mm -hmm. Like we all used to see in the cartoons. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. From what I understand, uh, something I heard yesterday is that our... <clears throat> Our goal with the police is to have at least about 50, 50, 50 to 60 percent of the people that are in the police department actually out patrolling. And it currently in Albuquerque, from what I understand, well, that number is only about 30 percent. Yep. And also, we hear about this thing about crimes not being prosecuted. Okay. Oh. Now, <clears throat> one thing I, I can tell you from experience on my own is that if I get a traffic ticket, if you go into court and you plead not guilty and then you come back for the trial and the officer that wrote the ticket or whatever does not show up, it gets dismissed. Okay, so if you have a shortage of officers on the street and you can't even hardly fill the, the, the need out on the street, do you think these officers have time to show up for court? Go ahead, Dale. But the one thing that you're forgetting as a citizen, we have the right to face our accuser. Yes. If he absolutely. wrote the ticket, he's accusing you exactly. of speeding. He has to be there to face you and say it. And on that red flag law that scares me to death, we are not allowed to even know who our accuser is. Mm. And it could be anyone that you ever slept with any time in your whole life and their family. And it gets ugly. So be very careful. We want to face our accusers. Now, the sheriffs is voted in. That's right. The only badge that's elected. Yeah, that's Correct. elected and has and they full are the, the county. Stream power in that county yeah. over the city police. The State Patrol, the FBI has to let them know that they're in their city and what they're doing. And that's the way it should be. Mm -hmm. Because I voted for them people. They weren't just appointed because they, someone owed somebody a favor. I'm sorry, favors are one of them things that happens all the time. So, we need to protect our right to face our accusers. 
And I've got two wonderful gentlemen, and I've got a beautiful lady that I'm talking to right now. And take and listen to what they're saying. Well, you know, constitutionally, that is unconstitutional to go to court and not face your accuser. Yep. That you are constitutionally, um, you have the right to face your accuser. And like I was talking about, when you show up to court and the officer that made the, uh, that was your accuser, that wrote the ticket or, or arrested you or whatever, that officer is required to be there because that is your constitutional right. And the problem that I've been talking about for a long time is so many people, and it's probably due to the failure of our school system, in which they don't teach civics, they don't teach the Constitution, and I think that's intentional. They don't want children understanding what the law is and what their rights are, and that these things are rights that, you know, that they have to protect them against tyranny. You know, in our system, um, we, we've all heard you're innocent until proven guilty. Yeah. But in this system, the current corporate system that we operate in, you're guilty and you have to go to court and prove your innocence. You know, technically a, a cop can't even turn his emergency lights on unless there's a victim. And in, unless there's a victim, there's no crime. But just like Derek said, these are policy enforcers. They, they're revenue generators in the system. It's all about making money. In fact, if you're a cop, uh, you can't, you're, you'll never move up in rank or uh, pay uh, without those quotas. Um, you have to pull people over. You have to enforce those policies. Those are statutes and codes. Uh, and originally, we created statutes and codes to govern law enforcement and elected officials, not we the people. Uh, under the Constitution, you cannot use administrative code on the people. Uh, in fact, in our system, they've used uh, statutes to amend our Constitution, and that in itself is invasion, i.e. treason. It can't be done. But they've been doing it for so long and indoctrinating everybody into that system that uh, we've forgotten. Uh, even in their statute and code system, it's all rights guaranteed. Those statutes and codes still have to uphold the Constitution. And it's just something that a lot of people have forgotten. So we, we definitely have to re-educate, uh, re, well, take the indoctrination out of everybody and, and teach everybody what their rights are. Because if you don't know your rights, you have none. That's true. Um, the other issue I think that nobody's, that I think nobody's talking about really and, and what he's talking about about the system having these you know, issues, and it does. I mean, you can't refuse that it doesn't have issues, um, you know, but you do accept sometimes that, you know, we ha what, what we have is still better than anywhere else in the world, but doesn't mean we can't improve it. Mm -hmm. So the better way to improve it is you got to go out and get those judges elected and something that we were talking about in the Republican Party. And we were talking about, we got to get these judges elected. So what is the most important thing to make sure that laws are followed, not policy, and that a judge would understand this is, now this is uh, some type of edict, this is actual law and does abide by the state constitution and the federal constitution. So judges are really important in that. So you really want to vote for judges that are on the ticket, especially the judges that are on the ticket right now, really good judges. I've met every single one of them and really enjoyed their opinions on the constitution and the state constitution and the infringements that we've been having. And then the other problem is prosecution. 
The prosecutor's office has been, I would say, the most egregious. Um, and, and it's not just our current prosecutor, right? It's, it goes further back. It's like you said, it's been constantly, you know, happening where they put these people in that say, no, 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 it's really this way, but really they're pushing edicts or their idealism through the court system. And unfortunately, judges give prosecutors a way too much leeway these days. And people saw it with the Kyle Rittenhouse case. They saw the way, well, why can the prosecutor do that? Why can the prosecutor do that? Well, because that's the system we have and allowed it to continue. We've allowed it for them to push it wider and wider and wider so they can continue to argue and push these ideals through. So, you know, change your prosecutor. Find out who your prosecutor is in your area. Find out who's running and support them. And so those are the two things besides just the sheriff's department that I think needs to be attacked to start fixing our crime system. Because the prosecutor especially has to prosecute these people. And he's already said he won't prosecute anybody below $500. So that's how many people going in from store to store to store. Well, that's giving people a pass. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's like, oh, well, you can steal up to 500 and it's not against the law is what they're saying. I mean, I've talked about a lot of plans that I have to deal with that issue, and there's a lot of ideas out there, and some people say it's going to work, some people say it's don't. But, but simply, if we still get a bad prosecutor, I'm definitely going to go for a what they call a assigned prosecutor, or sorry, excuse me. I'm going to go with a, a, pros, a special prosecutor system instead because if the prosecutor ain't going to do it i'm going to build up the crimes on these guys that are you know below 500 dollars because okay fine same prosecutor is going to do it we're going to do that and then we'll we'll go build up the case on them even in albuquerque because just like J uh, joshua was saying you know we have the authority over apd and if apd ain't going to play ball then we're going to do it and we build up the crimes on these guys and we go in and we tell the judge and the judge has to grant it because if the prosecution won't prosecute these criminals, we can get a special prosecutor. We can get either money from private entities or from the county. It depends on you know who the county manager is at the time. And then go and prosecute these criminals that repeatedly go from store to store to store just taking stuff and walking out and everybody's like, oh, what's that? Oh, and they videotape it, but they don't do anything. And when they call the police, guess what the police says? Oh, the, the, you won't, maybe we'll get somebody there. You know, I mean, seriously, they, they oh, I've oh, yeah. heard these stories. It's well, we've crazy. seen these videos too. We've seen these videos on social media in which you've got these thugs coming into these stores, loading up just bags and bags of merchandise and just thumbing their nose at the clerks as they walk out the door with it because they know that nothing's going to happen to them. Yeah, and if you attack that and you get on that, like, like I was saying with reserve deputies and such, it will slow down. But what's sad is, you know, we're going... We're, we're, it's, it's funny, I, I talk about this a lot, and I know Joshua knows this, I don't know about some of our other candidates, but we're going to be having the highest crime rate when we go into office, guaranteed. Yeah. You know, so it's gonna be a very long haul. It's gonna be an uphill battle. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, and I agree uh, too with the, you know, choosing the right judges, but we have to get back to the root of the problem. And that is, there's a process and procedure in our state constitution, that's article 22, section 19, as well as, I think it's uh, article 20, section three, something like that. 
um, that all elected officials, once you're elected, uh, you, you take your oath of office, which is the oath of the Constitution, uh, that you swear to protect, obey, defend, and enforce the Constitution. Um, but then you have 30 days from the time you take that oath to go get your oath personally bonded with what's called an elected official bond, which is a political surety bond uh, that holds you personally accountable. And none of our judges, none of our elected officials in this county uh, and majority in the entire state, literally there's three elected officials in this whole state that followed that, uh, that procedure. Um, and if they're not bonded they, and that 30 days passes, technically, constitutionally, they forfeit their elected office. So if you look at it like that, the judges, the mayor, everybody, um, their, their offices are vacant right now. They're literally pirates on the ship. You know, and when it comes to the police chief, the police chief has to be personally bonded as well. He's held accountable for everybody underneath him and everybody underneath him is under his bond. Um, the police chief has not been bonded, uh, which makes Keller basically the police chief, but Keller as well, the mayor, uh, is not bonded either. So, you know, what authority do these guys really have? The, the, only, the only authority they have is what we give them. And when we're not stopping it, because we don't know those rules, uh, we're giving them that authority. So constitutionally, it's our duty as the people to correct that situation. Well, you know, and I can understand the reasoning behind the whole bonding idea is because otherwise these elected officials, the, they, there's no consequences to them not upholding their oath to uphold the Constitution other than whenever the next election rolls around to get rid of them. But in the meantime, they can just run amok and do whatever they want. And that's what we're seeing them do. Oh, yeah, and we definitely, I mean... Do we want to vote out criminals? Because that's what they are at this point. <clears throat> or do we take charge? We have to learn our constitutional authorities so that we can assert our constitutional authorities. And we need to get these people out of office prior to the next election, which is what I believe will happen. Um, so we got a lot of work to do. Yeah, well, in the state of New Mexico, we cannot even recall them because they've actually uh, got themselves to where we can't do anything about recalling them. And they tried to put through a bill just a while back. Some of our, our people, I know Stephanie Allord was among them, I believe, tried to put through a bill in which it would enable us to recall politicians that were out of control. And of course that got shot down because the majority of the legislature are corrupt Democrats. Well, you can only recall or impeach when they're officially in office. So the fact that they're not officially in office, none of those rules apply to them. Yeah, unless you're the president of the United States, you can be impeached after you're out of office, apparently. Yeah, multiple <laughs> Which, times. Uh, yeah, multiple yeah. times. <laughs> you know, I talked about that, too. Even that's clearly spelled out in the, poly in the U.S. Constitution, and Congress didn't seem to care. Or maybe, even worse, maybe they don't even know the Constitution or even read it. Yeah? Yeah. 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 So... I know we are talking about the role of the sheriff. I think you mentioned this earlier, Joshua, that the sheriff is an elected office. And it's like, it's at the most local level. It's the sheriff is like our, probably our first line of, of defense against unconstitutional orders and mandates. And yet a lot of people don't seem to understand that concept. 
Yeah, definitely. Mandates, ordinances, and executive orders are not law. And the moment that the governor or anybody else, the wannabe governor, uh, wanted to threaten the people of Bernalillo County or any county, the sheriff of that county should have stood up for those people because their duty is to protect the rights of the people and to make sure that the elected officials in that county are upholding their constitutional duty. So yes, the sheriff should have escorted every single elected official in this county and judge out of office because they did not uh, follow the proper procedures of the Constitution of New Mexico. Yeah, and I'm thinking that, remember that situation with Backstreet Grill last year? A lot of us were there at Backstreet Grill and we did our darndest to protect them against what was being done to them about these unconstitutional, illegal mandates that were being imposed by the governor and Marty, you know, Martin, Han well, Marty, hold on. Heinrich. No, 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 I was thinking. The mayor. Ch oh, 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 Keller. Timmy, Keller, Timmy Keller. Timmy Keller. Keller. Timmy, Timmy, Timmy Keller. Yes. Marty Chavez was another bad one. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mayor Martin Chavez, I haven't seen that guy in a long time. We, we, were, there, we were there at Backstreet Grill almost every day. We were trying to be there all the time. And you'd have these idiots showing up on a daily basis. You'd have different people from different government agencies. You would have the state police. It was mm -hmm. never the sheriff's department. It was always the state police, which basically have become the private henchmen of the governor. And they will show up, and, and they were standing there, and they would be trying to intimidate them into closing their business. And that's really sad because, yeah, the sheriff has the authority over the state police. So where were the sheriffs? Yeah. That's a good question. Yeah, where was where the were, sheriff? Where, where were the, the sheriffs there saying, telling yeah. these guys, hey, you, are, you have no right yeah. to do this. You need the state to get police out of here. has no authority in that. Well, they don't even have authority in that. I mean, it, you know, we, we separate powers for a reason, so mm -hmm. they didn't really have the authority. It would be the health department. The health department would then have to with their technical authority, if it was a law passed, yeah. then would you know say, okay, you're violating health ordinances, that would go through the court, then the court would tell, right. then tell the sheriff's department, hey, they keep violating it, they keep violating it, and you know, the health department's done their best to communicate and try to work with, and that's yeah. what they're supposed to do, they're right. supposed to well, work the with. Well, not to mention the health department's supposed to, supposed to show up when the, they're, say, for instance, rats in the kitchen. Right, right, exactly. Or, or they're not cleaning the place, they're not cleaning and it's the filthy, place. And, right. there's, exactly. and there's mold they, all over the place. It's nothing to do with viruses, no, because viruses can't, No. You, you can't see viruses, you can't detect it in an appropriate mm -hmm. way, except within the body, so, how are you supposed yeah, to know? Yeah, so they were yeah. breaking absolutely no laws whatsoever, and yet they were being harassed on a daily basis. Well, I was happy to see that they made it through court, and the court threw it out, yeah. and, but unfortunately, didn't they shut down? They had already destroyed them by then. Yeah, they, they, by then, they were and out they of were money. exhausted. They finally yeah. just gave up, and they moved to Florida. And the only businesses that really uh, took any heat were the ones that uh, were very valuable property. Yes. For example, Backstreet. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the lawyer friend of the supposed governor uh, wanted that property. So he wanted to do everything he could to get those people out so they could purchase that, that property. Was that the guy that we heard of down the street that kept uh, snitching on them? As maybe the same I, I wouldn't doubt it. I yeah. wouldn't doubt it. Did you have a comment, Dale? Yes, I do. Okay. The governor tried to pass gas tax for the last three sessions. She, I asked her straight out right, what do you have that money earmarked for? And she plain said, I'm going to trip on my state patrol. And who did she use to close down the gun shops and the stores that she wanted closed down? She did not close down the big businesses. 
They went after the mom and pop stores. Mm -hmm. She did not go after Costco or Smith's or any of the real large stores. The gun stores that she went after was a small mom and pops. ABQ Guns for one, Charlie's Hunting and Fishing for another. I watched, I was in Charlie's, I seen the State Patrol cross the street and they came in and give them an order. Now, it was an unlawful order. First thing, I wasn't doing business in there. I was in there seeing a friend. I have the right to go in and see people that I care about. I did not know money changed hands, so they weren't doing business. But they still forced them to close. Right, violation of the First Amendment. Yes. And we saw this going on all around the country, people just gathering just to talk, and the police coming in and trying to break it up. It's like, uh, do you guys not know the First Amendment, the right to assemble, yeah. the right to free speech? But they, she wanted to triple her state patrol. And I asked her, are you going to put GSS on their collars? <laughs> yeah. In lightning bolts? Yeah. And... Well, we've seen the pictures of her on social media. I think they're very appropriate. She started to answer, and she got spoke to in her ear, and she turned red and, and spun around and left. But, you know, we have the right to have gatherings. During that time, they told us that we could only have four people in our class and one instructor. They also said we can only have one class for a day. And I was doing the two-year and the four-year, I was doing two classes a day. One in the morning and one in the afternoon. I got told that was illegal. Yeah, and according to what law? Mm -hmm. I said, we'll talk to our lawyer. Yeah. And it has gotten seriously ugly. Yeah, it has. So, yes, we do need to watch what's going on. We do need to take and protect each other. And when the sheriff says that he will send out officers into Albuquerque because the Albuquerque police will not get there, that's what Manny told me when we were up there at the legislation. When I called him because there was a bad problem, there was a stolen car in our neighborhood, uh, that's in Albuquerque, we can't do it. Yeah. Hey guys, we're at the, uh, that wraps the first hour. So we're gonna take a break and then we will be back.